Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Dr. Millie Lytle here today to talk about how to track your symptoms without getting stressed and overwhelmed. Welcome. And can you just let the audience know a little bit about yourself, you know, where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis and autoimmune disease? Sure. Um, well, I'm the head of coaching at Miami and we are a program that provides support and help to people and um, in identifying their triggers. So I've been doing this full time for the past three years. And prior to that, I was working in practice as a naturopathic physician. For those of you who do not know what a naturopathic physician is, I went to, I did my pre-med and then I went to a four-year postgraduate um, private uh, medical school that focuses on holistic medicine. So in addition to studying medical sciences, how to assess the body, physical and clinical diagnosis, I also learned about uh, treating the body with nutrients, nutrient deficiencies, supplementation, herbs, homeopathy, uh, clinical nutrition or orthomolecular medicine diet therapy, as well as acupuncture and kind of the, the whole gamut of the, of the holistic world uh, we covered. And so uh, depending on what state the naturopath is residing in, they might have gone through the four-year postgraduate or they might have taken an online program. So not every state licenses naturopathic doctors. So you want to find out um, you know, how your naturopath was trained, if they're licensed, and it really does depend on the state. Not only that, naturopaths go by different nomenclature or titles, depending on what state they're living in. They might refer to themselves as a naturopathic physician or NP. Personally, I'm licensed in D.C., so in D.C. I am an NP, uh, whereas I usually refer to myself as an ND because where I uh, went to school, that's how we refer to each other. But then there's also NMDs, natural medical doctors, and it's the same training. But if you're in Arizona, that's how they refer to them there. So it is very confusing when you're shopping around for a holistic team um, because you really do want to investigate a little bit more as to what people's backgrounds and educations are. But I could say that if you want to know nationally which state licenses naturopaths, you can go to the AANP, not to be confused with the American Association of Nurse, Nurse Practitioners, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. <laughs> that's No, that's super helpful. I honestly think, especially when you're newly diagnosed, a lot of people refer to it as a time of like alphabet soup, you know, where you're like, there's all these shortenings for the conditions. There's like PSA for psoriatic arthritis or RA for rheumatoid arthritis. But then people, some people refer to it as rheumatoid disease, or it's a rheumatic disease, but it's also inflammatory arthritis, but it's also autoimmune arthritis. And then there's don't even, not even to start with all the spondyloarthropathies like axial, you know, radial spondyloarthropathy, or there's non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy, you know? So yeah, we, that's just in the conditions. And then there's the different 
kinds of um, providers, you know, there's physical therapists and then there's physical medicine and rehab doctors. So anyway, not to go on too long about that, but just thank you for the overview because yeah, I think it's an area of confusion when you hear naturopath, it sounds like what you're saying, there's definitely a variety of training and a, a variety of degrees people could have and, and um, a variety of different uh, legal abilities they could have in state to state. I know in Washington state, I live near actually um, Bastyr University, which is like a great, you know, holistic um, training air, uh, facility for what am I, why can't I just call it? Like, what am I trying to call it? You know, it's, it's school for people to become naturopathic. Naturopathic school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first naturopathic school, actually. It's the first oh, one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in, yeah. in our state, um, you know, it's definitely that that could be your primary care person is, is a you know, naturopathic physician in Washington state. So you have to know, it sounds like, you know, look up on the AANP, not the nurse practitioner one, but for the naturopathic <laughs> practitioners. Um, thank, thank you for that overview. And yeah, I think, absolutely. And, yeah. Oh, anything sorry, else you want to say? I'm in, oh, I just wanted to say where I am. I'm in Florida. I live on the Gulf coast of Florida and this is an unlicensed state. So naturopathic doctors aren't licensed in Florida. I came from New York, which is an unlicensed state. And so wow. that's why I do keep my license in the District of Columbia because they, you know, they have a good license. We're licensed by the Department of Health. And so it's kind of integrated into the medical system there, uh, so to speak. And I came from Canada where we were licensed there as well. So, you know, depending on where I move, I, I find that I've had to change, you know, my interpretation of, of what I am and what I do and what I can do. <laughs> wow. But now I just practice remotely. It's all remote now. So I know that is... Yeah, that's one of the great, you know, I mean, trying to find silver linings in the pandemic, you know, the increased access to remote care has in virtual care. I mean, it's helped on, on many levels for me, just even the logistics of planning, you know, okay, I have to, I, I see a doctor, I'm in the suburbs and I see the doctor in Seattle Oh, I have to plan my trip and, you know, the parking and the, oh, if it, my, if my appointment runs late, I need to arrange childcare for my child. Now it's like, you know, it's a lot of those logistical barriers have been removed with telehealth. So that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pros and cons. You want to see somebody in person sometimes you want to have somebody look at you. Oh yeah. But it is very convenient to have to be able to call somebody. So yeah, yeah. Especially with like ongoing chronic conditions where you may just need that check-in or maybe questions about, you know, side effects or whatnot. But yeah, I definitely have gone in person numerous times to my rheumatologist, especially with, I need her physical exam. You know, she could really tell the difference between different degrees of swelling and stuff, even more than me. It's hard to self-assess your own body sometimes because, um, even the way you touch yourself, you're feeling that feedback, right? From the inside out and the outside in at the same time, I personally find it, it's kind of like how you can't really tickle yourself, you know, <laughs> it's hard. You need outside perspective sometimes, but, but okay. I got to keep myself on track. Um, <laughs> this is why I do an outline before each episode, believe it or not, those listening, I do an outline <laughs> and, um, I think symptom tracking as somebody who's lived with a chronic condition, numerous chronic conditions for 20 years now, um, it's definitely something that is like so helpful to make sense of why things, why your symptoms maybe are a certain way in certain conditions and a different way in other conditions, but sometimes it can be overwhelming. But in general, can you explain to somebody maybe who isn't familiar, like, what do you mean symptom tracking? What is, what is symptom tracking and why is it important? Um, so you might find that whether you've just been diagnosed, you've been struggling for a long time, or you have not been diagnosed as of yet, uh, there are symptoms that you have pretty much day in and day out. They seem constant. Uh, some of your symptoms might only appear at specific times. So first thing in the morning, um, you know, to a lesser degree throughout the day as you're up and moving around, or after you've been uh, moving around, you might find your, your symptoms appear more. Um, and then other symptoms might appear sporadically. So there is a difference when it comes to symptom presentation uh, as to whether, you know, you might want to consider tracking those symptoms are not. And so not every symptom presents the same, and that can give us clues into 
um, helping ourselves deal with some of those symptoms or even kind of drilling down into triggers or maybe what's causing that symptom or how to anticipate that that symptom might come about. Uh, that's, that's kind of what we start with at MIMI is looking at symptoms that are not constant because if you are going to track, now you did ask me to explain what tracking is. So tracking is just logging essentially when you're experiencing that symptom and you can use any method of your choice that's reliable to log. You can do pen and paper, you can mark it on a calendar, in a journal, uh, you can draft your own spreadsheet and become very meticulous. And of course, now there are numerous apps that allow you to track your symptoms or your day, day-to-day -day experience, uh, and not just your symptoms, but more as well. So it's essentially just capturing the time, the place, uh, the symptom itself, or any detail around it as to you know, what you're experiencing so that you can puzzle piece for yourself. So you can kind of be a detective and, and identify, oh, this is happening now, or this happened you know, last week, or this happens every day at this time. It's not interesting. I didn't realize before that it happened always at this time or always in this place, or, or it's very random that this happens. And so I really want to try to understand if I can find, if I, I want to see if I can find out any more information about when this is happening. So I'm going to track it and see if it correlates with anything else in my life. So yeah, and I think the first, yeah. the first thing people usually anchor everything around is time, right? This day, that day, this time of day. And then you go on to track, uh, write down whatever it is that's important to you that you want the outcome to be, you know, is it pain? Is it fatigue? And you also track different kinds of activities that you think maybe contribute to that, to that symptom. Like, let's say I'm concerned that every time I eat dairy, I might be experiencing bloating and joint pain. Then you would just kind of say, okay, time ate this bloating X amount, right? Is that kind of, am I describing an example correctly in your, in your mind expertise? Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can start with a hypothesis. So you, it is good to have a goal with your tracking. So the reason that I'm going to track now is to understand if anything that I'm eating or anything that I'm doing or anywhere I'm going is contributing to this symptom. Um, and so then you start to track all the details that you can think of kind of around that symptom happening. And if you can narrow in on the time frame between having done something and having experienced a symptom, um, then you can kind of start to recognize patterns. So it is good to have, you know, a reason or a goal in mind as to why you're tracking. Some people just might want to start tracking. They're just interested. They want to quantify themselves. Um, so, but, you know, it does, if you're going to do that in the long term, it takes a lot of coordination and, and patience and, and persistence. And, yeah. you know, it, it's a lot, it's a lot to track, especially if you're tracking everything or the more details you track. Um, I think it can become really quite stressful potentially, especially if you're wanting to keep yourself accountable to tracking everything without knowing what it is that's actually um, participating in that in that symptom. And if you're even on the right track towards, you know, finding it or if you're there's something else that you just haven't thought of or are missing. Um, yes. So having a goal, having a goal is a, is a good idea. I think you can have a hypothesis or you can not have a hypothesis. So you can ha have already had an idea or a hunch that, um, yeah, I do think dairy is a problem. Now, maybe it's some dairy, maybe it's not all dairy, or maybe it's an amount of dairy, it's not any dairy. Uh, so there's also thresholds that come into play. So I can eat, you know, a serving of milk a day and not feel pain. But if I then eat three servings of milk, then I'm in trouble. Um, that might be, you know, a hypothesis, or you just might be, okay, I want to know if every time I eat milk or eat dairy, if I'm going to have pain or not, and just follow yourself until you kind of find, um, find some patterns. But you can also start without a hypothesis and really not know what it is. Like, I have no idea what is causing this pain. I wonder if it's associated with anything that I'm doing, and just try to leave yourself really open um, and curious about finding out what it could be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in that case, the goal could simply be communication with your providers or your medical team to kind of say, okay, you know, cause that's, I think some uh, chronic illness patients in the beginning, they kind of get taken aback when they're asked to rate, you know, in the last three weeks or the last week, how bad has your pain or fatigue been on a scale of one to 10? 
and it's like, wait, I don't know. We have, and then we kind of have this like recency bias, right. Where we're kind of more likely to share information that we can easily retrieve from our memories in the last couple of weeks. So being able to have a bit of data to go from can help you either, even if you're not sure about variables correlating, if you're just trying to kind of capture your overall progression of your disease, or, you know, I think a lot of times with medications, this is also something where, you know, um, it's, it's helpful to say, okay, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe my medication plan isn't enough. Like I'm feeling more stiff. Let me kind of, if you have that baseline to go from like, yeah, when I first started the medication or lifestyle factor, whatever it is, my intervention, I was feeling like at a two out of 10 on stiffness. And now I'm kind of more like a four or five. And I know it's those listening will know I've said this before, but it's very, very, very hard. I think to put numbers on these phenomena in general. So um, moment of empathy for anyone who's like how, like I've, I've joked before, I think even on the podcast, I can't remember, but saying like, you know, if someone asked me to rate my pain on a scale of one to 10, it's like asking like, what color is love? Like, I don't even like those numbers and pain, like it's hard. So anyway, I guess question for you is yeah. Like how do you, do you help people or how many tips are people to like conceptualize, like how to quantify some of this stuff? Yeah, we actually help people quantify by suggesting they qualify it because the Ooh. pain intensity scale, the, and we'll, I, I'll talk about it. The I'm pain excited. intensity scale, <laughs> the pain intensity scale is a tool that's used by every single rheumatologist and most doctors. And, you know, it's a necessary part of uh, an, an exam. Uh, you're, if your physician is trying to examine you and understand how much pain you're in, they're going to ask you to rate your pain from zero to 10 zero to a hundred with a hundred being the, you know, 10 being the most pain you've ever experienced and zero being no pain. But if you're experiencing and similar to what I was thinking of when you were speaking was that if you're in a, a level three pain constantly, then that pain is all of a sudden going to escalate because I can tolerate a level three for a short period of time. It remains a level three, but if you're in a level three pain, for 48 hours for, you know, 148 hours without relief, then that's not a level three pain anymore. And it, because you, there's no, there's no relief from it. And so anything that there's no relief from, that's why it's not going to be a low grade pain. It's going to be, you know, a chronic pain and you're going to experience it as unremitting or relentless even. So then it all of a sudden becomes, you know, a much bigger deal in not just your mind, but your body as well. And the, the way you experience it, because pain intensity is, is, is also uh, the level of intensity we experience is also over duration. It's not all, only just in that acute moment. And if you're in pain in that acute moment that the physician's asking you, then it's going to be a different level than if you're not in pain in that moment as well, because you're, you're clouded by the pain that you're currently experiencing. And then there might be other, you know, other things about just relating to physicians, which are difficult, which also might make us answer that, those questions, you know, in a way that's not always, it, it's not an objective question. It, wanted, it, it wants to be an objective question, but it's not an objective question because our zero to 10 pain scale does not always remain the same because we are human beings. So some, right. at some times, actually an eight might be a lot more than an eight in other times, just depending on a whole lot of other factors. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be discomfort in other ways. And so uh, at MIMI, what we do is we have clients qualify their pain. So for instance, what does an eight mean to you? What does a three mean to you? And so if you're thinking about, okay, well, sometimes I have mild pain, sometimes I have moderate pain, sometimes I have severe pain. So even if you break down the pain scale into three areas, mild, moderate, severe, what is that mildest pain? Like if you have a good pain day and it's a mild pain, you know, because maybe you don't have, you're never without pain, possibly, hopefully not. Hopefully you do have no pain days, but if you're having always pain days, what does that mild day feel like to you versus, and, and maybe that feels like um, an inability to do certain things, like maybe an inability to take, to do exercise, for instance, on a mild pain day, or maybe that feels like, um, you know, aches in certain areas of your body, like in your joints, but it doesn't extend to the full body. Or maybe it includes, um, you know, maybe it doesn't include 
rashes or any other kind of exacerbating symptoms, whereas a a moderate might feel like occupies like half of your body or you feel it inside and outside, or it's it's not only an ache, but it's also a shooting. So this is for everybody to, to... get more specific. I'm not telling you what a moderate is for you. You, This is something that you can come up with on your own, that you're really honing in on what that five is to you or what that Mm -hmm. six or eight is for you. So that then you can attach that number, if you will, to the actual experience of, you know, in a, in a kind of objective way, you are creating an empirical value from an experience, a qualitative experience. Whereas, you know, on a 10 day, you might not be able to get out of bed. I mean, you get, your body, you know, just doesn't move. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we, we approach it. And I think it's a really helpful way. Yeah. It's, it's really, really congruent with my training, like as an occupational therapist, like we are all about the, like, what, what is the client of the person's ability to participate in daily activities and daily like, uh, require daily tasks. And it, when you look at participation, it's informed and participation is just the doing of stuff, you know, whether that's walking the dog, making food, eating food, taking care of children or, um, and pets. I'm thinking of my pet right now and you have a puppy too. Um, it is informed by the contextual supports. It's not just, you know, if I have um, severe, you know, moderate to severe pain, but I have maximum supports, environmental supports in this, in terms of people that can help me, let's say perform cooking tasks. So I don't have to, or help me with childcare. Then my participation is not going to be as limited as maybe if I had mild to moderate pain, but zero environmental supports. I don't have help with childcare. I don't have help with, you know, um, household management, don't have help with financial, just finances. That's a huge part. So if you just have, you know, looking at, yeah, what is my pain on a scale of one to 10 to kind of tells you practically nothing about my ability to function in daily life, other than on a very gross level, like typically somebody who's at a two is not going to be able to function as with as much ease or is going to be able to function with more ease as somebody on like an eight or nine. But I feel like there's just that entire gray area between like a two and lower and an eight and higher is like practically, um, sorry, I feel like I don't want this to become a sound bite where someone's like, Cheryl says it's like pointless to write your pain, but it's It's just so limiting in terms of if your goal is to improve your quality of life, then you can't just look at a abstract number that there's like, there's zero inter-rater reliability anyway, if you're looking from a statistical standpoint, right? Because no one will ever know what the five feels like to you other than you. So I love your idea of, you know, um, okay, let's start there then. What does it mean? What can you, I don't know if this is what you were getting at, but I know some people in, in occupational therapy, or they're just patients on their own have figured out, let me just say what I can and can't do due to my pain and fatigue. So right now, I can't do X, Y, Z. That's actually what I tell people sometimes or advise people to communicate to their doctors. Say, you know, I can't, people come to me and say, I can't do my bra. I can't, you know, tie my shoes. I can't. So I'm like, tell your doctor that because maybe your pain is, or stiffness is only a th- in your head. You're saying it's a three or four out of 10, but it's preventing you from functioning in daily life. And their, your, your care team will want to know that um, that's a severe limitation on your ability to kind of function. Right. So, sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there, there are, no, absolutely. And, and, um, that is definitely one way to think about pain and or stiffness or mobility issues, um, and anchoring that to a number, if you wish, I mean, you don't have to anchor it to a number, but it is a way of saying, you know, on a, on a three day, I can, uh, take care of my children. Whereas on a, on a six day, you know, I can't even feed my, you know, I can't even take care of myself. I need somebody Mm -hmm. to help me. Um, and so whatever that means to you. So there's, and you can, you can look up abilities, questionnaires, or, you know, activities of daily living and kind of like see what that, what the, the medical profession considers like that, that list, you know, are you able to do household chores? Are you able to feed yourself? Are you able to dress yourself? Are you able to bathe yourself? And, 
and um, some of these questionnaires tend to tend to go into kind of the geriatric field a lot, but in, or in, even injury. But in any case, they, it can be really, I think, instrumental just in that being aware as to what those you know abilities and abilities are for you when it correlates to a certain level of pain. Um, and the function, the physical function as well, which is, which is also a type of, you know, questionnaire, just a direction of, uh, it's another way to think of, um, you know, can, can I, can I move around the way that I want to? Can I do my shopping? Can I, can I sweep my house? Can I vacuum? Can I walk the stairs? Things like that. So, um, tying the, tying that to pain, I think is, is really, can be really helpful. And even just, yeah, and, and what you said, to communicate with your doctor as well as just to be aware of yourself, anchored in yourself, because that's, that's another, you know, maybe a, a prime reason to track is to grow, build your own body awareness. Now, obviously, you're very aware, most people are very aware of their body, you know, feeling like crap. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it can be, but the subtleties around that and when it feels better and worse, um, you know, can really yeah. inform you a lot about, about how your body's behaving that day. Yeah. I think like the, this is where I get a little bit, um, in, in a little bit of circles, but maybe just me sharing the circles will help other people who are struggling because I, like I have actually worked, um, in therapy as the patient with the psychologist on like being able to accept that sometimes I have done like my academic mind has reached the point where I've done everything I can to try to understand this I'm jumping ahead, right. To maybe advanced levels of, of, of tracking where you are like, okay, I'm using all my hypotheses that are informed by my life experience and my understanding of my condition. And then there can be times, right. And maybe tell me if you disagree, but where you just, I, I like to joke, like a butterfly flaps its wings, you know, in Asia. And then I get a flare up. Like sometimes there is a randomness to it that I found it useful to, like from just a peace standpoint and acceptance standpoint to say like, okay, this like, forgive my French, but like shit happens, you know, like, and I can actually say, okay, well, sometimes I'll get my expectations set to where like, um, you, you mentioned the word curiosity earlier. Like I'm approaching the symptom tracking from like a curiosity. And I find that more mentally healthy than I, what I've, I've seen other people do and myself at the beginning do, which is this anxiety and almost obsession of like, okay, I just got to track everything and I got to get everything written down. And then I'm going to find all the variables, correlate them. And then my life will be better. And, um, do you see people go through that kind of evolution or, um, I don't know if there's a question in there. I'm just sharing how it can be a double-edged sword. Let's put it this way. Super yeah. empowering to yeah. find your triggers. And then also it's disappointing. It can be disappointing. You make a one, a beautiful hypothesis or even maybe it works for three years and then some, your body changes, you know, for me, my body changed a lot after having a baby. And then you're like, but I had it all figured out before. Oh, so frustrated, you know? So, um, what do you, what do you think about all that? <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think that we are machines. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of mechanistic and machinistic structure and you know um so we can compare ourselves to a car and a robot it, you know up until a certain point and then it's not predictable not everything is predictable not everything is understandable not everything is solvable um or at least it's not solvable right now so absolutely i do think that there i mean being human is also uh you know having to deal with the unknown and um and absolutely if you're a, you know a chronic illness patient there's a there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of unpredictability and i don't think that approaching tracking from a control perspective even though <laughs> having a sense of control is very important also for people at times but if you're trying to conquer it or um then then that can also get you into a, a problem with just with yourself and with the process of tracking because it can kind of be more stressed than it's worth. So, yes. you know, at my need, the, the coaches are always trying to protect their clients from having to experience this, you know, tracking overload. We really try to finesse the tracking process as opposed to, you know, conquer the tracking process and, and, and people, you know, think you want to think you think by, well, if I do, 
you know, it's that whole concept. If I, if I do a little bit, then that's good, but more is always better. And more is just not always better. We've, and I hope, I mean, we've probably all realized that on some scale to some extent at some point in our life, but yet we still might think that if I can do it faster or if I can do it more, then it's going to be better for me, but it actually might be worse for you because, you know, there is such a thing as burnout and there is such a thing as overwhelm and those are real things that can um, hurt the process. Uh, Certainly during the COVID pandemic, you know, we work with long COVID um, patients and there was certainly like an influx of tracking, you know, by, Mm -hmm. by um, certain kind of cultures within the COVID and those and COVID patients, long COVID patients have a lot of symptoms. Like we're talking, you know, upward of 200 symptoms that have been identified now with long COVID. And some of those symptoms are rheumatic and some of those symptoms are, um, you know, vascular and circulatory and some of those symptoms are digestive. And so it can be, it's like an overwhelming number of symptoms. And, and so just by tracking your symptoms is not a solution for your issues either. And, and so there is a limit to all knowledge. I -hmm. absolutely believe that there's a limit to knowledge. I mean, we can't know everything, nor does driving to know everything solve all problems because There still will be unknowns, like more unknowns will appear every time we ask a question. There's another question asked, you know what I mean? So the most important thing is to be patient and to be um, compassionate with yourself. Oh, my gosh. When it comes to the process. (laughs) I mean, I think in everything that you do as as a chronic illness patient, a person with chronic illness, you know, a person who now is going on this journey of, um, you know, trying to learn things about yourself and trying to contribute to your own well-being and do what you can. Um, Compassion for yourself is like the most important thing. Oh my gosh, you're completely speaking. Yeah, speaking my language. And I hope that, you know, I think there's a variety of people that are listening to this right now. There are some like newly diagnosed and then there's people who have kind of been through the ringer, like, like me, where it's like, you do sometimes you mentioned burnout. I love, I I've never really thought of that phrase in terms of like burnout of you, of the job of being a chronic illness patient, but yeah, it is burnout because it's a job to, to talk to insurance companies. It's a job to track your symptoms. It's a job to manage the day to day, you know, so being able to, um, you know, I've certainly gone through stages of burnout and I think that burnout can lead people to also denial you know, oh, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not that bad, you know, um, or, and, and kind of a blinders, like, uh, ostrich, put your head in the sand. Like, I'm just, if I don't think about this, then it won't be real, you know? So, um, I just yeah. think it's great. What you, what you provide at Miami, I'm not saying that I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> I just choose interesting people to come onto this podcast. It's not like I would, by the way, anyone listening, I will always like be upfront if there's somebody on the podcast that I have any sort of like financial relationship with they're like you know um I'm not going to be like I, I've heard of that some of the big podcasts people are like oh they only went on there to like promote their movie I don't know how that works for like the you know the million people podcasts but um but I think what you're providing at Miami is so great because you're kind of helping it's like the serenity prayer right it's like help me to control this is my version of the serenity prayer in 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 summaries, like control what I can let go and accept and find peace with what I can't. And like the wisdom to know the difference between those two, you know, <laughs> and that's it. I mean, I really think that that's the solution <laughs> to everything, yeah. but it is, but it is, I mean, it's extremely difficult. I mean, when you have so few energy reserves mm-hmm. and you're focusing all of your energy, you know, more energy than you actually have just to solve for your health condition, I mean, it's very easy to either go into denial or to, I I mean, any, any mental escape that you want to or need to take during that time is absolutely justified. It's it's completely understandable, which is why it's so important to have people helping you because it's just so difficult. Um, It's so difficult to navigate, you know, all of this whole world, like whatever, at whatever point you're learning about yourself specialties, your care team, the, you know, the diseases or any condition or chasing down a new one, or, you know, you're between diagnoses or all these things. I mean, there's, it takes so much mental energy, especially if you apply yourself in that way towards it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, I'm just looping back around to that's why support is so important. That's why speaking to people who um, do have answers you want to hear is really mm-hmm. important because mm-hmm. um, if we're constantly surrounding ourselves and this is people, you know, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our care team, everybody, everybody is constantly telling us that you're not right. Or if that's what you're hearing, you're not right. It's not that it's this, then that Mm -hmm. in and of itself is harmful, stressful, inflammation, creating, exhausting, feels reserves that, you know, you don't have already. Um, You know, if you're like the, you feel like you're the one person trying to get to the top of this so that you can see off the mountain and everybody's saying, no, you can't do that. So I, you know, it's, it's extremely important to, to find people who are saying, yes, you can do that. That is completely allowed and justified and understandable. And you're right about that. Um, and so that doesn't have anything to do with tracking so much as just, well, um, the journey, know, looking, look, the hero's the journey, journey. That's yes, not yes, really a hero's journey. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, the life, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. Is it? It's not a hero's journey. I mean, it's a, you know, it's it's a challenging, um, it's a challenging thing to 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 live through. So yeah, I just say it's not the hero's. Or I don't like to say mine is a hero's journey. Not that I don't feel like I I'm a hero. Like yes, we're all heroes, but I the hero's journey is one that has an end. You know, you climb the mountain and it has a resolution. And I think it's been important for me to realize that like it's more healthy to think of my rheumatoid arthritis and other chronic illness management, like having dysautonomia and like anxiety and other issues, um, you know, GI issues. It's like, this is just going to be a series of mountains that are going up and down and some are going to be steeper and some are going to be enjoyable. Then I'll be able to get like a little ride down the mountain on like a fun little, you know, what is the word I'm looking for? Oh, brain fog. What's sled. Sometimes I'll sled down the mountain. Sometimes <laughs> I'll fall down the mountain, you know, but it's not, it's not, I think so many people, they put their, this is another soapbox I go on, but they put their life on hold until they can just, you know, till they can conquer, like you said earlier, conquer the disease. And it's, um, you know, not always in your best interest to, to do that. I would just say, because thinking of it as an up and down thing is, is going to prevent that kind of ultimate disappointment a lot of people experience when they realize there's it's it's an up and down chronic chronic means chronic like <laughs> well, a lot of times we yeah. skip over that we're like it's chronic but I'm going to figure it out you're like no chronic means it does it's there it's there chronically like <laughs> but but that doesn't mean you can't yeah. live better with it you know and and experience a, a large amount of, you know, improvement in your quality of life. And yeah, it's, it's really a shame that so many people are just basically diagnosed with autoimmune illnesses and then basically told, okay, so this is your team. It's you and a rheumatologist and come back in three months. You know, I'll talk to you for 20 minutes and then you come back in three months. And this is nothing. Like, I love my rheumatologist. She's literally like my favorite person. And like I've invited her to my wedding and like all this stuff, but I'm like, no matter how amazing you are, Seeing somebody for 20 minutes every three months is probably not enough. (laughs) Like, even if it was, you know, a God, you're like, okay, who's going to help me like on the day to day, you know? So having a team, there's all these amazing professionals out there, this occupational therapist. Okay. I am biased because I'm an occupational therapist, physical therapist, the naturopath there's, you know, ophthalmologists of other providers that really specialize like in the different parts of, you know, the body. And then there's the different psychology, you know, mental health providers. So anyway, please, if you feel like you're on your own, there are so many resources and people out there. So check out my me today. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Um, No, I think like, um, you know, so, I mean, setting expectations, managing expectations, being disappointed, and, you know, these are, these are part of it. And, and it's okay. It's okay to, to also, it's okay to be disappointed, even though it hurts. I mean, and it's okay to strive for permanent remission. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, they're, they're both okay. It's okay to, um, so I think dealing with the overwhelm of, of emotions that comes along with the, the pain and the fatigue and the, all the other kind of 
mm-hmm. systematic symptoms, systemic symptoms. Um, you know, you just, you do need support. That's why. That's why you need support because it is it is challenging. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks, and it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah. And I think I just, I want to highlight again, you mentioned that at Miami you help with long COVID. And I think that's really, mm-hmm. um, a, an amazing resource because it's so new, right? There's so much emerging evidence on long COVID and there's so, um, few resources out there. So like your organization works on, uh, or focuses on lupus, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, like autoimmune illnesses and long COVID. Am I missing anything right. else? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, nope, that you don't have to be diagnosed in order to uh, oh, okay. come to Miami. Certainly people who are on the diagnosis journey, you know, we know it takes, it's taking five to seven years for some people to get diagnosed. And for all of those years, they're wondering what's wrong with them or being told yeah. that they're fine or that their hormones or, you know, I mean, they're just being brushed off a, a lot of times, unfortunately, when they know deep down that there's something wrong, that there's really something wrong between how they used to feel and how they feel now, what they used to be able to do and what they can do now. And, um, you know, we're there to help those people as well. But I, you would kind of consider it like the pre-autoimmune. It doesn't necessarily even mm. mean you'll ever be diagnosed with an, an autoimmune disease, but if you're suffering from like SIBO or chronic fatigue or chronic Lyme or, you know, some of these kind of pre-autoimmune conditions and um, then mm-hmm. tracking and identifying your triggers can help with that too. And, and also, you know, being supported, as I keep mentioning, by, by mm-hmm. health coaches who have been through it. I mean, all of our health coaches have their own autoimmune condition. Um, oh, I didn't know about that. All yeah. of your coaches mm-hmm. have their own autoimmune conditions. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's always a bonus. Yeah. People ask me, how do I find like, a provider who also has lived experience, whether that's like a, a health coach or a, um, you know, psychologist, um, that kind of thing, you know, people just, there is that level of understanding when you've lived through something, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do not, I mean, it is, mm-hmm. there is autoimmune disease in my family, but I'm also not providing direct client care um, mm-hmm. at Miami. I'm really supporting the coaches. 
uh, in, you know, making the recommendations and through the coaching process. And we all work as a team, but each of the coaches who are actually providing the direct client care have gone through their own journey of, you know, the ups and downs and finding their, uh, looking for their triggers and tracking and, and they've done the, the whole thing. And we even actually have one coach who became a health coach. She was an RMT before she went through my, me as a patient. And then mm-hmm. she like as a client and she has, she has, um, IBD, but then after she went through Miami as a client, she became a health coach, and then we hired her on at Miami to That's be a health coach. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's really a, a great team, and um, yeah, so thank you for well, for speaking highly of it. Yeah, and I got to meet in person at the uh, 2022 American College of Rheumatology conference. I got to meet Dr. Nicole Bundy who is so great. And we both went to Vassar College. We figured out we have all these interesting like similarities and she's just a spark in the world. And so I'm looking forward to having her on the podcast as well. Um, and she has such a unique set of professional and personal experiences, you know, but I'll, I'll leave that as a teaser. You have to listen more to find out. <laughs> yes, and I'll tune in to Dr. Bundy's podcast with Cheryl as well. Yes, yes, yes. Tune in. It doesn't exist yet, but it will. Um, I I wanted to just, before we get to the rapid fire um, questions, uh, do you have time for one more kind of uh, tracking question or should we move on to the Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I have time. um, So I know nutrition is a big one and I'm not even going to touch it right now just because I don't think we have enough time, but just know that that Miami, they have people that can help you with the various variables and tracking for that. But one, I wanted to talk about exercise and fatigue, because this is one of the trickiest ones, because I know evidence wise for rheumatoid arthritis, like one of the most, most reliable lifestyle factors that can improve your joint pain and fatigue and quality of life is exercise. But exercise, the word exercise (laughs) represents, and I'm saying this as a former college athlete, right? a giant variety of things. It could be taking a walk with the dog. It can be running a marathon. It could be power lifting weights. It can, you know, so, and, and I think, okay. The question is a lot of people have a hard time figuring disentangling, like, um, the relationship between let's just say cardiovascular exercise and fatigue. I personally find that when I Um, if I overdo it, if I either push my heart rate too high or push it moderately for too long, I will experience worse fatigue, but a short, like for me, I've kind of found a sweet spot for exercise for cardiovascular that doesn't induce fatigue. But what are some tips for people that are like, I know a lot of people that get discouraged because they're like, I know I'm supposed to exercise, but I feel worse when I exercise. Like, ha, what do I do? So what are some tips? (laughs) Uh, the first tip is to substitute the word exercise for movement. Movement, yeah, yeah. Because it's really, it's really movement that is being called for, and it's movement at your pace. No responsible prescription recommendation is ever going to be anything that's overexertional. Mm-hmm. You know, um, actually, overexerting is a huge trigger, I, yeah. and um, this always shocks people. You know, they marathon runners they do hit um, pelotoners and you know they then they all of a sudden come down with an autoimmune like I was so healthy I was doing this great exercise and then now I can't do anything and and it's very difficult to to be in the present where they are given how fit they were but having maximal fitness like that is extremely stressful and tiring on the body and I'm not saying that everybody who does engages in the exercise like that is going to get autoimmune disease but it's extremely yeah. taxing on the adrenal glands. Mm. And so chronic, chronic stress, anything that's overexertional, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big trigger. Um, the, liber- the literature, you know, the research literature is quite scant on overexertion mm. and as a trigger for autoimmune disease. And, uh, and yet we know that it's, that it's real because we mm. hear it all the time. And, and, uh, and the same for, for COVID as well as, as autoimmune. And so, Replace the word exercise with movement and only do what you feel you can do without needing to rest afterwards. Mm. Your exercise should not, should not make you have to, you know, have a day long nap afterwards. Um, you shouldn't yeah. have to recover 
push through the word pushing through, um, you know, we think it's a champion and it's a warrior and all these things have been, you know, associated with kind of, um, you know, I've been branded as a way to cope with an autoimmune disease or a rheumatic illness. And that can actually be doing quite a bit of damage for you if you have, if you're engaging mm -hmm. in anything, even if it feels good in the moment, it's, it's really just exhausting you too much for it to be worth it for you to do that type of strenuous activity at this time, if mm -hmm. it causes you mm -hmm. to have to take a day, a week, uh, yeah. you know, um, specific, definitely if it's causing joint pain, but even if it's causing just fatigue or, you know, yeah. needing to, needing to sleep it off for a long period of time, um, yeah. it's probably not worth it, especially if it's something that you're, you're trying to implement into your, you know, you're trying to continue to work out despite having, you know, being sick, you, you, you do need to treat yourself as a, to, as a sick person, you know, you need to treat yourself as if you're your own child in order right. to properly care for yourself. And, and by getting ahead of your energy and creating some energy reserves, then you will find that you'll be able to do those things without having to force it or push yourself to do something that, uh, you know, is really not going to be good for you over the short or the long term, quite honestly. Right. So I hope no, that, was that's... that was, that was like definitely uh, my, my take on it. And really what we see at my, like we're re always working with people's activity levels and how much they can do comfortably now, because it's much more important to be able to do it more frequently than it is to be able to do it hard. You know, similar yes. that concept that I was talking about before is more is not better. More is not better. More mm -hmm. intense is not better. It, being able to sustain what you want to do day in and day out, that is what gets you to a place where you actually can, can heal and, and, you know, without the need for deep, dark periods of recovery, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you need it, you have to do that. So I definitely recommend you recover if you need to, but to get yourself into a place where you have to recover by deliberately putting yourself into, you know, some form of intensity that um, is too much for the moment. I, mm -hmm. I would not recommend. That's how, yeah. I once at one of the trainings for, you know, occupational and physical therapists, the physical therapist brought up the idea of, of what well, she called them exercise snacks, you know, like a little snack versus a giant mm -hmm. meal and maybe movement snacks. So yeah, you know, can you do a little dance break and, um, or if you're, if you're, you know, in the moment you are confined to your bed, you know, can you do just some leg lifts from the bed, you know, moving your body against gravity is exertional, you know, how, you know, yeah. like in, in, in occupational therapy school, we learned like, you know, manual muscle testing, you know, the grades against gravity versus gravity assisted. It's, it's a big moving your body is exertional. And, and also the only other thing I would want to say is, is for people to know, in addition to what you're saying, um, that, you know, you might also have to look into if you're, if you're trying to even do like moderate activity, moderate movement, and you're just getting ex just horrible fatigue, you might want to look into ME or like what used to be called chronic fatigue syndrome, which is now, you know, myalgic and I always pronounce it wrong. Myalgic and so yeah. Yeah. And cephalitis, and they, you know, that can be, cause that's the hallmark symptom of that is post-exertional malaise, you know? Um, so you would, you're going to, if you have that concurrent with rheumatoid arthritis or another autoimmune you know, illness, you might need to, um, modify even more, do much shorter, shorter durations even. Um, but yeah. it's hard because it and can be, yeah, you don't want to get deconditioned because if you're deconditioned, meaning you don't, you lose muscle mass, then your body doesn't move as efficiently either. So it's definitely a delicate balancing act. <laughs> Yeah. And so in terms of like practical tips of, you know, if you're looking to strengthen your muscles, I mean, you can do calisthenics, you can, you can simply flex your own muscles, you don't have mm -hmm. to be lifting weights or lifting anything. Um, you can use your own body for those things, you can, you know, do squat without holding anything, you can lift your leg from bed or just flex your calf muscles or rotate your ankles, anything that feels like it's a mild, a slight exertion more than what you normally can do that you can sustain repeatedly over, you know, 10 to 30 repetitions. Um, and, but then you also don't need to, you know, sleep for a long period of time or recover for a long period of time mm -hmm. as a result of it. But if you're absolutely deconditioned, I mean, again, long COVID clients who are, who have been mm -hmm. like, you know, breathless, not able to come out, come out of bed as well. 
even just deep breathing and strengthening our diaphragm, compressing our diaphragm, you know, for 10 deep breaths, that can be exertional and much more than what you're doing already. So these small movements, walking, you know, walking is the best exercise. And again, you, a five minute walk is better than zero than no walking. And then you can do five minutes. You can do five minutes. You may get to five minutes twice a day. You might get to five minutes three times a day. You might be able to extend to 20 minutes at once and you build it up gradually. And that's really the key to, 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 to conditioning yourself um, back to a place where that you're, that you're happy and comfortable. So it's it's a gradual, Mm -hmm. just like everything it's, best to move in gradual, um, and be with yourself how you are now. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of my husband or my husband, my cousin, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know why I said husband, my cousin ended up being hospitalized. For, um, he had that thing that happens when you try to exercise too fast where your kidneys, your muscles break down and like hurt your kidneys. I forget what it's called, but yeah, he was like former big athlete and tried to just jump right back in. Like I'm getting into shape this year and I'm laughing, but it's actually really, really serious condition that he ended Mm -hmm. up getting. So it's yeah. Start little low, go slow. I I think those are great. Those are great tips. (laughs) And yeah, people always think about strength training as needing weights. And you're certainly right. You know, doing, you know, a wall sit, um, can strengthen your quads, you know, doing calf raises just against gravity or on a step, you know, there's so many things you can do, um, with what's around your home. Air pose, boat pose, like mild yoga movements, slight Mm -hmm. Pilates movement. You know, I mean, you can, there's access on YouTube to all of these things. You don't have to have to pay um, to get access to to small movements. And so small movements, I would would say is key, especially if you're you're highly debilitated at the moment, you know, and you can build up from there. Yeah. Something I remember learning in OT school, I don't know if maybe you can tell me this is wrong, but is that you're born with all the muscle fibers you're going to have, it's just that they get bigger or smaller. Um, I thought that's kind of like a beautiful thing to think about. Like, okay, even if I'm deconditioned, meaning like my muscle strength is lower at the moment than I you know, like it to be. I'm like, well, you can always, you still, you have the fibers are there. We just need to kind of work them a little bit, you know? Um, they didn't disappear thing, hopefully, unless you had like a major injury. <laughs> yep. But yeah, and oddly, muscle fibers tear and repair, right? That's how they get stronger. So yeah. you just do small stretching and contraction movements to That's stretch true. them and tear them a little bit, and then they repair stronger than they were before. And you can get reconditioned very quickly, also. Yeah. Um, you know, if if it's your if your body allows for it, so. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was, that was helpful. So just a few last rapid fire questions before we wrap up, what are some words of wisdom you have for people maybe newly diagnosed with an autoimmune illness or similar challenge? Um, I, I always go back to, to taking care of yourself first. I mean, I think it's, uh, you can spend so much energy looking outwards and trying to find answers and solutions, and that can be important. And, and a good task to take on over the long journey, but you really want to be checking in with yourself all the time and asking yourself if you have the energy to do this right now or, and, and, and speaking to yourself kindly, you know, you really want to take care of and be the, the nurturer for yourself. You really need to be a nurturer for yourself if you're just diagnosed and it's extremely important. And, you know, no matter who you are, you need to speak with, to, your, to yourself kindly and, and compassionately. I, I love that. I love that. Um, and do you have a favorite mantra or like inspirational saying either for you or for your patients? <laughs> um, you don't have to know it all. <laughs> you don't have to know it all. You know, you can accomplish a lot without, you don't need to learn the next thing. You, you know, enough now mm. in order to, uh, in order to do yourself good. Um, I love that. Yeah, I think continually striving for knowledge. I mean, I'm a person who who did spend a you know a good portion of my life continually striving for knowledge and think, oh, if I just knew that, or if I just took this course, or if I went to that school, or if I did, yeah. you know. But no, you can you can you can stop at some point and rest and just and collect what you have right now and 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 just good enough to help yourself. And I think sometimes just tuning into the wisdom that you do have is more important actually than learning what that person has to say or what that person has to say. I, I love that. And what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Could be something in your life or it could be a book or a show. 
Um, my puppy, I mean, he is a handful. Yeah. <laughs> he's had he's had chronic giardia since I since I got him, but he's like oh. just uh so we've had to <laughs> yeah, so we've had to manage uh, you know, chronic diarrhea uh oh, for months no. and he's eight months, but um he is the the best like little guy to wake up with. And so he's definitely oh. bringing me joy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mine, my dog just turned four years old and I still call him my puppy <laughs> and he still brings uh, me joy. Yeah. And um, they're so fun. <laughs> yes. And what, this is kind of like a meaning of life question, but what does it mean to you to what, what, okay. What comes to mind when I say the phrase like thriving with rheumatic disease or thriving with autoimmune disease? What does it mean to thrive with those things? Um, what I hear from patients is that they continually have epiphanies about their experience. Mm. So when they know they're on the right track towards finding, you know, just answers for themselves or getting to know themselves better or, you know, something's improved there's always like a light bulb moment and, and people can have repeated light bulb moments. So I think when you're having light bulb moments, um, you're living well. I love that. You're, you're learning about yourself. Yeah. Little, Being little inspired. epiphanies. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And is there anything else you want to share before we conclude? Um, well, I just want to say that the world of tracking, you know, it's very big and, um, and there is a way to, to, get better at it. And it can be, there are a whole lot of factors in, in autoimmune disease that are not controllable, you know, mm -hmm. some, and not modifiable. Some things are not modifiable. Like maybe we can't clean up our environment. Maybe we, you know, the, the train spill, I mean, I'm, people are sending me so many articles on the, oh. the train spill and the chemicals that have been released. And, you know, we, we can't do, we can't, we, we are impacted by our environment and our, our immune system is impacted by our environment. But, um, you know, all the modifiable things, whether it's the way we move, the way we sleep, the way we breathe, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we think about our life, the way mm -hmm. we engage socially, who we choose to have around us, um, you know, what we do for work, like all of these things are modifiable. And by opening ourselves up to new possibilities, um, even if it's hard, you know, to break through, uh, but yeah. this is how epiphanies are created for people is keeping an open mm -hmm. mind as opposed to thinking like, I can't do this. Like, you know, there's so much, I can't do this. And so we keep ourselves in, kind of imprisoned by our thinking. Um, and so when we are feeling inspired by what our tracking is showing us, then we're on the right track. Um, it's not mm -hmm. about being perfect at tracking or getting at tracking everything or tracking every moment, but it's about following the threads that are informing us that, uh, you know, we're feeling better and we're, we're getting, we got an answer. We got a good idea there. We, you, you know, and then that was satisfying. And so those satisfying moments are, are really important when you're trying to, to, you know, empower yourself towards, towards improving your symptoms and, and, you know, hopefully going into remission when you have an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I often talk about the things that are like controllable or outside our control, but I like that idea of modifiable because it kind of suggests degrees, right? Because something can be modifiable, you know, to a certain degree. Um, and it's just, I, I like it. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you introduced me to that concept of modifiable variables. Um, and right. yeah. yeah, because it's not all or nothing. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, and even food, food reductions, eliminations, food triggers, all these things that, you know, everybody's afraid of them. They're scary. You don't want to, you know, lose your favorite foods, but sometimes it's just tweaks. It's not, yeah. you know, the whole, you know, shebang it's, or if it's the whole shebang, it's temporary, you know, so you can get yes. to a plate, you can build on successes, you can build on wins and get to a better place. And so I do want to encourage people that, you know, there are people who are, who are doing that and, and you can do it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I will post links to Miami and to your social media and to the Miami page. Um, I love what is shared on the uh, Miami health, you know, Instagram and, um, I'm just really grateful for your time. I know you're very busy being the head of coaching at Miami. So thank you so, so much for tackling this topic with me today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Cheryl. It was fun. Yay. Okay. Bye-bye for now.
Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.